Welcome to the Iowa Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics podcast. The Iowa Academy is an affiliate of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. We are a nonprofit organization with over 900 members, including registered dietitians, dietetic technicians, and dietetic students. We promote and enhance our profession through activities, conferences, and more to help improve the lives of Iowa citizens through evidence-based practices. This podcast will highlight upcoming events and how being a part of the Iowa Academy can help you grow as a professional through continuing education, networking, and serving in a leadership role. We offer scholarships, awards, and grants to recognize great leaders for the profession and provide them with funds to assist them in meeting their career goals. Head over to eatrightiowa.org for more information. And now, let's get on with the show. This episode with Carly is part of our monthly educational series. Take a listen to all the amazing things they are doing. And this was really a special episode for me because Carly graduated from Iowa State University and then did the master in professional practice and took the eating disorder class from me. And so now I am learning from Carly and also so excited about the online course they are doing called Counseling Skills for dietitians who give a damn. So take a listen to this special episode. Hello, this is Allison St. Germain, your past president for the Iowa Academy. And today we are talking with Carly Golightly. Carly is a queer and gender expansive dietitian who takes an intersectional therapeutic approach to their work to support and uplift folks in marginalized bodies. In addition to seeing courageous clients in their private practice, MoxieMind, they counsel other brave, thoughtful dietitians who care deeply about their clients and anti-oppressive work. Aside from one-on-one and group supervision for RDs, Carly also teaches nutrition at MSU Denver and hosts Counseling Skills for Dietitians Who Give a Damn, which is a virtual training series for RDs to hone their skills through an affirming lens. Hey, Carly, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. And you are certainly busy. That is (laughs) work that you're doing. So there's so many great things that you're doing. It, it's hard for me to decide where I want to start, but <laughs> we love your name, Moxie Mind. That is so cool. Do you want to tell us how you came up with that? Yeah, you know, um, in my very first job, um, I worked at a, a hospital setting and they sent me to um, a training where they were talking a lot about the importance of social media. This was in like 2015, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I decided I was going to make an Instagram and I had no idea what I wanted to call it. Um, I was really drawn to that, the word moxie, because it stands for um, the ability to face challenges with courage is one definition, at least. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think even before I was working in eating disorder spaces, I was really drawn to that idea of uh like everyone having their inner moxie that they could draw out. Um, So that's kind of where the idea of moxie mind came from. I love it. It's so hard to choose business names, I think. And so, yeah. And it has the nice alliteration with it with the two M's as well. Which was also perfect when I moved to Denver because they look like mountains in my logo now. So, Oh gosh, you're right. That's cool. (laughs) Yeah, it was perfect. So you currently reside in Denver, but you have an Iowa connection. Can you tell us more about that? 
Yeah, I was born and raised just outside of West Des Moines. I grew up on a farm and I went to Iowa State University. Go Cyclones. Um, (laughs) My parents met at Iowa State, so I was already destined to go there. But then it also happened to be the only school in the state that had a dietetics program. So pretty much settled that. (laughs) Yes, very true. So how long have you lived in Denver now? Um, I'm on year four. Oh, okay. So you've been there a while. Yeah. Yeah, it's been really great. I love it here. Oh, good. Well, I know mountains are incredible. I'm living in, you know, I still live in the Ames area and um, no mountains, no beach. But um, yeah, I guess I just have to go on vacation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it has its own own special magic. Oh, absolutely. So do you have a memory at all um, with like your first memory of when you started being interested in nutrition? So I don't think I can, I can't remember like an exact moment. I will say that um, as a large number of us in the field are, I struggled with my own eating disorder in relationship with food. Um, So I think it was, you know, hard to tell in the beginning of deciding to want to be a dietitian if it was most related to um, like an actual Uh, authentic interest in nutrition or more just related to my eating disorders interest in nutrition it's definitely you know evolved and manifested into something that I really love and really enjoy but that was the that was my uh entry ticket yeah you know and there are so many of us that have that same entry and so I always think it's so cool how we can use that lived experience of struggling ourselves and being able then to go on and work with other individuals who have eating disorders. It gives us a little bit mm-hmm. more insight, I, I would say, because you can't learn everything just by you know, reading a book, that's for sure. But And so I think that's something important that we talk about, too, as dietitians, that you know, if we had our own struggles and, and acknowledge you know, that the dietetic profession really you know, draws people who are struggling. And so, because oftentimes it's just kind of brushed under the rug. And so I think it's good, good, something to talk about. It's important for sure. Yeah, definitely. And um, I just started teaching at MSU. This is my first semester. So I literally started uh, yesterday was my first class. Oh my God. And, um, which was really fun, but it was such a good reminder of, especially I have mostly freshmen in my class mm-hmm. and um, have no idea what anyone's relationship with food is, but just want to be really mindful that I that they know that I can, you know, we can talk about things if they have issues, that there are certain assignments that we kind of have to do, but we can modify in ways mm-hmm. that feel better um, or less triggering. So, yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to navigate it from this side of things as like yeah. in the professor role instead of the student. What class is it? Is it like an intro to nutrition or? Yeah, yeah, it's intro to nutrition. So it's an elective, which means I have um, some students who are dietetics majors, but also like nursing majors and just other people who wanted to take it. Oh, okay. You know, something um, that I've done in the past, because um, I've taught dietetic interns, I take undergrads, I also am currently teaching at Des Moines University with um, PT and PAs, and something mm-hmm to all of them about is what are the pressures of being in the healthcare profession? Does it affect how you eat? Does it affect? Yeah. I've had such good conversations with students around that because oftentimes it's not talked about. And so Mm -hmm. then we troubleshoot on, okay, what could we do to um, help 
you through this and help you get through the curriculum and, and um, you know, just kind of neutralize what's going on and um, just name it and call it out. And so I, I know that that's been helpful. Just passing that on to you since this is your yeah, first. Yeah, thanks for the pro tip. I love that. So after your internship, what did you do then? Um, after my internship, I got was at a hospital in Kansas City where I did inpatient, outpatient, and uh, ran their bariatric program, um, which was, when I say that now, I'm like, I don't know how they assigned one person to do all these things, but um, I actually really liked it because I've always liked the variety. Uh-huh. I uh, pretty much always hated the bariatric part of it, though, and I didn't know about health at every size at the time. Um, and I barely knew about intuitive eating, but something about it just felt very yucky to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was during, I was at that job for a year and a half. And it was during that time that I did learn about haze. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this, I can't do this job anymore. You know, this is, um, this is not the place for me. So, and then I also worked at a grocery store for a period of time. And then I've been in private practice for the last four years. Oh, Wow. And, you know, I've actually talked with other dietitians who work in bariatric and they um, they said that the same thing you were saying, but they also um, have learned to bring in the health and dairy size and then intuitive eating and focus mm. on, you know, the behavior than the weight loss. And so, um, I mean, I don't know if I could do that just because um, it's such it's so ingrained in me now to be you know, straight on weight inclusive and health at every size. I don't know yeah. if could do that. So, but let's talk about your private practice. How did you get started with that? Um, when I moved to Denver, I, I, the plan was like, I'm going to move. I'm going to start my master's program through Iowa State and I'm going to start my private practice. And in hindsight, I'm like, wow, that was a terrible idea to do all of those sittings at the same time. Um, but, you know, it, sort of worked out in the grand scheme of things so all's well that ends well but um I was teaching yoga for a long time while I was building up clients in my private practice and I also very very briefly uh worked for a therapist at their practice they were like kind of test driving the idea of having a dietitian Mm -hmm. and the focus of the practice was eating disorders which at this point I hadn't really jumped full feet, you know, both feet into, I was more doing like disordered eating, intuitive eating kind of stuff. And so I thought, yeah, you know what, like, let me learn more about eating disorders. And, and it doesn't feel like that far of a leap from where I'm already practicing. Um, and then Denver is such an eating disorder hub, um, that it was kind of, a not downhill in a bad way from there, but just like, oh, yep, I'm, this is where I was supposed to be. Like, this is 100% my jam. This work is so fulfilling to me. And uh, yeah, no, I haven't looked back. Oh, wow. I what I was just talking to somebody today and they asked me what I like about my job. And I said, I think one of the best things is helping people enjoy food again and to get that freedom and, And it's just that part is so rewarding because you see such pain with eating disorders and disordered eating that to be able to see somebody then heal that relationship is just amazing to me. Yeah, or to I think sometimes it can be really powerful even to just be in a relationship with people who are struggling where maybe um, 
maybe they don't know sort of air quotes full recovery, but they are like surrounded by people who care about them and want, you know, their body autonomy respected. I think that can be really powerful too. Yeah. Let's talk about the air quotes around recovery. This thing <laughs> that um, I know I've struggled with over the years. What does that mean? Am mm -hmm. I covered? And then um, I actually started talking about it out loud to other people. And I said, you know, I think full recovery is different for each person. And so let's not label it and let's not say this is what it is. And so I'm assuming because you said air quotes, you <laughs> similar philosophy. Yeah, I think it can be, I think it can be limiting language. And also I'm a person who's really into semantics. Like some people are like, yeah, whatever, just use a different word or something. Yeah. Um, but I, I think semantics can be in language can be really powerful. So I, you know, if someone wants to use the word recovery, that's fine. That if that's what is working for them, cool. I tend to use more language of healing. Um, I think it is a little bit more compassionate, um, especially at least my experience around the language of recovery is that it also includes words like relapse um, and just like this idea that, I mean, there's also a, you know, a sort of common quote around recovery that it's up and down it's not a linear line which I think is really true um but yeah I think it, there's almost like an edge or an harsh a harshness to it that I don't particularly love um and it's sort of hard I think it also uh has an implied like finish line like yeah. I'm recovered at some point yes when I think more so the reality for folks struggling with something like an eating disorder is that it's a lifelong thing that you just kind of learn. Um, or I, I recently heard it um, compared to like living with a chronic condition. Mm -hmm. You know, I use healing as well. So I like that we have that, <laughs> that same word. And yeah. um, you're absolutely right. I mean, we work on relationships our whole entire life, you know, relationships with people. And so mm -hmm. that's the same thing with food in our bodies. It's just something that we work at. I mean, sometimes less than others because, yeah. you know, if we go along the journey. It doesn't take as much thought and practice as, you know, it once did maybe when somebody, you know, first was starting to heal. And so, yeah. um, yeah, I just, and it's so important to discuss that with, with clients and to kind of get their idea of what that means and what words they like to use and that sort of thing too. Um, yeah, I think that language, like I said, can be really important and uh, consent with language they want to use can be so powerful and reclaiming things for them too. Yes, yes. Very good point. And so in your bio, it talks about intersectional therapeutic approach with folks in marginalized bodies. So I really wanted you to touch on that and explain that for our listeners. Yeah, I think it means a lot of things to me. Uh, I think it really starts with the history of of our profession and also just like medical model in general, medical profession. I think it's really common in the medical systems for professionals to look at someone as they're presenting problem or diagnosis, but that misses an incredible amount of information and connection with someone by doing that. 
Um, so really my intention as a clinician is to attempt to build trust and to see someone as a whole human being with complex and intricate identities and lived experiences. So I care really deeply about relationships first and foremost um, and how my role can support someone not be an expert in their life because um, I believe that they are the expert of their own lives and lived experiences and not, you know, stepping outside of the role in a way that I become a therapist, but more really understanding that I'm a human trying to connect with another human and I'm not here to fix things for them. I'm here to help um, support them, understand their own wisdom and access to healing. Oh, that's beautiful. And you touched on something too with, um, you're not a therapist, but, you know, um, we are not like, you know, trauma therapists, trained trauma therapists, or, you know, gone through that training. But, you know, we talk about food and the emotions around food. And so sometimes it gets tricky for people to understand because we don't, because I sometimes people think that if you're a dietitian, you're telling people what to eat, how much to eat. Mm-hmm. And there's... And I never do that, actually. <laughs> you know? And so it's our, our profession is so um, misunderstood. And so I tell people, I talk about emotions around food most of the time. And so I think that it just depends on, you know, it's not everybody's scope. It's not every dietitian's scope to do that either. Uh, and I think our scopes are so different because there's so many different, um, you know, areas and dietetics number one so many different continuing ed different tracks you can do and so each person has really a different scope because at this point in my life I really don't know much about food service management anymore I mean it's been a hot minute since I've done (laughs) any that right and so I don't feel like that's within my scope by any means so yeah likewise and that's not something I want to be reinserted into my brain. Those files are gone. Um, I'm fine with that. Yeah, that is so true. We need more space for other things. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I'm really interested in hearing more about um, the counseling skills for dietitians who give a damn. So tell <laughs> us more about that. Well, you know, I love alliteration, so uh, I had to do, and I love cuss, cuss words too, so um, I, I'm especially proud of the title, I have to say. Yes. Um, yeah, I think one of my main objectives in the last, I don't know, six months to a year has been pivoting in my private practice a bit. Um, I love working one-on-one with clients, and after four years, Um, As we know, I have a history of liking variety, (laughs) Um, so I'm just needing a little bit, a little bit of a mix up. And um, I really love working with clinicians, especially people who are really invested and interested in providing affirming care. Um, You know, especially, uh, I mean, it's important for me to check my own privileges and understand that as um, a white person who size privileged, decently able-bodied and other privileges um, that I want to be really intentional and mindful about supporting folks while also understanding my limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it would be really inappropriate in some ways for me to share, like, you know, I'm not going to go lead an anti-racism training, for example. Mm-hmm. But I do think that counseling skills is something that um, is really important for dietitians across different niches. Mm-hmm. Um And I think it's definitely something that, at least in my experience, I did not receive much information on. 
Yes. Um, <laughs> and so anyway, all of that to say, I thought it was really important to try and put something out in the world while also being mindful of the privileges that I bring with it. And so I'm really excited um, to have consulted with a lot of people in the creation of the course to have um, two guest speakers and all of us, all of the um, myself and the two guests are all queer folks, gender queer folks. Um, the two guest speakers are folks of color who are dietitians and practice in the eating disorder landscape as well. So it, it feels exciting to be able to offer something um, that hopefully isn't, you know, completely whitewashed is my main intention um, and to give people hopefully some skills on being more affirming. Um, I think especially knowing too, I guess I'll say the, our profession in general, not very diverse, right? We have a lot of um, really privileged providers and yeah. So anyway, I think all of, all of that to say there felt like there was a gap in my own learning and understanding and I'm hoping to help bridge that in ways that I can. So this is a virtual training, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so how many, um, is it um, live? Is it recorded? Or how does this work? Well, so the first one is happening this fall. Um, and since it's kind of a test run, I'm just going to play with things. I think it feels good and lower pressure for me to not have it recorded. And I think it feels really uh, like maybe building more trust and relative safety with the group to not have it recorded. So um, right now it's a live series that's happening. It's an hour and a half for uh, each week for six weeks. Okay. And um, my end goal, or, or actually that's not really the right language maybe, but more my long-term vision is that I might be able to offer this um, multiple times or multiple times in a year. So um, stay tuned if anyone wants to learn more, but yeah, I'm really excited about how it could evolve. And, um, I'm not much of a perfectionist by nature, but it is interesting to notice like making something kind of this big and just wanting it all to go really well and be really like perfectly executed. And so, um, I'm also excited for the challenge of being really gentle and, um, not perfect with myself. Do you still have space for people to participate or are you full for the first or did it did it start already or it's just going to start? Um, it's, it's going to start September 6th um, and it is full right now. So if you're interested in, in a spring thing, then feel free to follow me, get in contact. But um, yeah, I. I, in hindsight, I'm like, oh, I started teaching at MSU and then two weeks later, I'm <laughs> teaching this course, like, but you know, also on, on brand for me. So <laughs> it'll be great. I'm excited. I think sometimes I know for me, the more things I have, the more, um, I don't know. It's like, I know I have to, I have a lot going on and I'm very structured. And when I have less to do, I don't know, it doesn't feel as normal. <laughs> if that's just comes from you know our rigorous training in undergrad and grad school that we have that I don't know I just know that that's how I feel sometimes and then when I get too busy I think okay I gotta let some things go and then I let too many things go and so <laughs> 
that's something I'm really working on with trying to figure out my boundaries and how much is the perfect amount of things to do. Because um, I feel like dietitians in general, we have such an overlap from, you know, our passions and our purpose in life that just overlap with our jobs. And so the line gets to be pretty blurry. And so it's hard to determine, are we working or are we um, having fun? And but I <laughs> we can do that at the same time but yeah sometimes it's hard for me to tell exactly <laughs> if my hobbies yeah. are my hobbies. yeah I feel that I think especially in private practice because I'm like well my business is me yes but also it's not my identity and I don't want my work to be my life but yeah. you know or my life to be work you know it's, I think it does really get complicated yeah, it really does, especially when you enjoy so much what you're doing. And right. so how can people get more information on this training series so they can look for the, the next openings in the spring? Yeah, you can visit my website. It's moxie-mind.com. Um, and there will be a, a sign up that you can kind of get on the wait list for the next one. Um, I don't have any dates announced yet for the spring, but that's my hope and my, my intention. Um, you can also just email me if you want to chat. I'm like I said, I'm big on relationships, so I'm always really interested and eager to connect with people and um, get to know more about what you're interested in. Well, that's perfect. I will put your website and then your email in the show notes if that's okay for you. Yeah. And people want to get in touch with you and find out more. Yeah, I will add really, I'll add another quick little plug in, in the spring. Um, I'm going to be doing a, a, a webinar for EDRD Pro members as well on boundaries in uh -huh. practice. So oh, um, I need that to might be really relevant too. <laughs> yes. Okay, great. I love the, the webinars and just that whole program in general. I've learned so much over the years through that. Oh, it's a great, great organization. Yes, they're amazing. So just a little bit now we're going to kind of change gears a little bit is um, just to talk about the discrimination in healthcare and the fitness industry in general, um, especially for folks in large bodies, the BIPOC community, LGBTQ plus communities and more. Can you elaborate more on this discrimination? Yeah, I can try. <laughs> um, it feels like I, I love this um, topic and it also feels really big. Yes. Um, one of my favorite quotes kind of around this is from Dr. Jennifer Wang Hall. And she says, violence experienced is violence embodied. Mm -hmm. And I think about um, how, because of, I mean, really, if we were to kind of draw a, a diagram of all of the ills of white supremacy, we've got all these trickle down effects of things like weight bias, uh, racism, you know, trans and queer phobia, um, all these different and more, many more, but all these different phobias and isms, basically. Um, and there's a lot of harm being done to folks in in marginalized bodies because we live in a in a society centered around whiteness, thinness, um, cisgender, heteronormativity, all these different things. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think understanding it is a big piece and understanding how we fit into it and our privileges is a really big piece. Um, like I mentioned, you know, our, our field is pretty 
lacking in diversity, which means that the most marginalized and most harmed are often the ones who also don't have good access to care um, because there's a lack of understanding with sort of the people in charge, or we don't have providers with the same lived experiences that can provide really affirming care. And um, yeah, I, I think there are just really big gaps in a lot of areas. Um, and also, I mean, I think probably most of us have heard quotes around like the system isn't broken, it's it's working as it's designed. And that's really true for whether it be uh, like racism and systems around that in our country, but also like the medical industrial complex and and all of the ways that, um, you know, the, the most marginalized are not receiving care or getting pretty um, limited access to certain things. Yes. That was a a lot, but hopefully. It's so overwhelming to think about. And it's, um, it's overwhelming, not only to think about how, how do you break into the system to make change? And what can you do, you know, as an individual as well, because I know there's so many people doing things on the individual level, but we obviously, I mean, which is needed for sure. And we need to do that. But we also in order to, you know, make this a better world, we have to think bigger picture too. And so I just really love the work that you do, Carly, and the message you put out. And it's so helpful for not only other dietitians, but for the people, your clients that um, come in to see you. And it makes me so excited that you are doing this training series for RDs. And then also that you're teaching too. And so you have, you know, you have your hand in like so many different areas that really is going to branch out. And hopefully, if a lot of us can do this, that we can um, really change the culture. Yeah, thanks. I that's my ultimate hope. I I'm reading a book right now called The Care We Dream Of. Um, I think the subtitle is Transformative and in Liberatory Justice for the LGBTQ plus community. And um, that's, you know, kind of one small facet of what we're talking about. But it's been so lovely to read and um, these other people's essays and imaginings on what healthcare could look like. Um, and uh, there's, you know, some racial um, pieces kind of sewn into there as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's there can be such power in like dreaming up new ways of being and um, or even existing within these systems. Although ultimately, I think a lot of us are, are dreaming of something different. Yes. When I wrote that book down, because I'll put that in the show notes as well. I absolutely love to read and I listen to a lot of audio books as well. I usually will read, you know, things fiction, but the nonfiction I tend to um, listen to on my ride to work or if I'm walking or something. Yeah, that was Are you on Goodreads. Can we be Goodreads friends? Oh, you know, I am on there, but I never really put anything on there. But (laughs) (laughs) well, I was going to actually ask you what um, resources and books that you could recommend. So other than that one, is there anything else that's been really helpful in your journey of learning? Oh, my gosh, so many. Um, Let me think of some of my favorites. Um, Your Body is on from Renee Taylor. Um, Body of Truth, Harriet Brown. Mm -hmm. That one's really good, like research um, 
sort of based, breaking that down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fearing the Black Body by Sabrina Strings. Um, something that's been on my to-read list for a long time and I've heard such good things about but haven't gotten around to yet because I have a stack of like 15 <laughs> books to get through is um, Care Work, um, Dreaming Disability Justice. That's oh, okay. Authors. I have read that one. Yeah, that one's supposed to be really good. Um, what We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat by Aubrey Gordon. I love that one. And Decolonizing Wellness by Dahlia Kinsey. I have not read that one yet. Um, I'm madly writing these down so I can add <laughs> you. And I <laughs> so um, books have been just so important to me um, for my continued learning. And it's just, it's interesting to hear people's stories of how they learn things. And so and it's, it's weird because you almost have to like peel away layers before you can get to the next piece. Because um, for me, it started with intuitive eating. I just, it was just life changing for me. And then from there, and this wasn't like, you know, two days after, I mean, it's, this is over many years process, but then I really got into learning about health at every size. Mm -hmm. And once I understood that and was looking at, um, it just really helped me dive into more social justice issues because I realized how big weight discrimination was, which then led into the whole um, race discrimination. Mm -hmm. And so it just keeps on going and going. And it's, um, it, I think I just think it's like you don't have the capacity to understand certain things until you've gotten to um, learn some leading up. And so um, I never expected to deep dive into social justice issues. It just kind of um, happened. And once you know some things, especially like with fearing the black body, once you know those things, there's just no there's no going back, basically. Right. Yeah. It's all connected. I actually have kind of this metaphor I use with clients sometimes when we're really unpacking and understanding all these systems of oppression. Mm -hmm. And I always say it's like you didn't go to the eye doctor for like five years and then you come home with this new pair of glasses and you're looking around and you're like, how did I live in all of this? (laughs) Like, what's what is happening? That is a great analogy. Yeah, that is basically what it is. It's just so interesting how if you don't know something, you don't know, you don't know it. And then once you know it, you're thinking, how did I not know that? And it's just, it just is like spreads like wildflower for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what keeps you motivated in our profession? You are very, very busy. So what keeps you motivated going? Well, it's, it's funny because I actually hadn't been working very much this summer at all. It was, it was a very slow summer, which was um, by design is very welcome and needed a, a break. And so I think, I think this busyness that we're witnessing now is more of a, a response to some good rest. Um, mm-hmm. And I am, I identify as a highly sensitive person. So, I, you know, my nervous system's really attuned and I can get dysregulated pretty easily. So, um, yeah, I like this question of like motivation. And I think it's also just like such a balance for me of knowing that I um, am a really determined kind of uh, um, passionate, multi-passionate person. And I, uh, you know, also struggle with chronic illness and am a highly sensitive person. So I can't go, um, you know, 
hundred miles an hour all the time, or I literally would burn, burn out. So I think, um, what feels really lovely to witness in the profession is just like younger generations who are learning about all the stuff that (laughs) I missed out on a lot faster, uh, learning about systems of oppression, learning about how to provide more affirming care, how to be trauma informed. Um, and I think also witnessing like more and more resources and spaces for BIPOC RDs and RDs of other like marginalized identities, lived experiences, um, to just have more diversity in the field. And yeah, it feels really um, like nourishing that maybe our field's on a new path um, and that more people helped um, in new and different ways than maybe the field could have in the past. That is so true and so beautiful to think about because I've noticed that too because I've been a dietitian for 27 years now, so quite a long time. And I look at some of, um, I have an undergraduate dietetic student that works with me and I've also been a preceptor and just seeing how much they know right now about diversity and inclusion and health at every size, (laughs) intuitive eating, I've just away because well I've been in the profession for so long intuitive eating was not even written you know when I was an undergrad right and Mm -hmm. health at every size was not even something that was even talked about I know it's been around for a long time but it really I mean we never heard about it and so it is so exciting to see this new generation of RDs just getting some really good solid um, education and hopefully it um, it is across the nation I can only speak about you know the students close to me here at Iowa State University so yeah I think it's exciting yeah definitely and I also like that you said you take breaks and you rest that's (laughs) good good self-care and something that um, I need to be better at but also I think anyone you know that loves what they're doing so it sounds like you have really good self-awareness and so that's super important yeah, I think I had to do a lot of skill building around that. I, I'm especially thinking about, I think, like the the dietetics uh, messaging, like in our curriculum and internship. Well, I totally understand. I know that I heard a lot of like, always oh, say yes to everything, you know, don't say no, don't turn down an experience. And while I absolutely understand the benefit of like being open and trying new things, I think in a lot of ways for me that set me up for just doing way too freaking much and and not prioritizing rest so yeah it's been a lot of skill building and um and also like unlearning some of those tenets of like white supremacy culture right of, of yes. like urgency and perfectionism and and all of that so yeah it's an ongoing practice for sure yes again something we have to work on for life yeah <laughs> So what is something that you've learned over the years that you think would be helpful for someone working in nutrition or just healthcare in general that you just wish you would have known earlier on? Uh, there are so many things that I wish I had known, but I also think that's the beauty of like looking back at your younger years and being like, wow, I was, I was dumb. That, no, that's really <laughs> mean, but <laughs> there were some moments where mm, not the brightest. Um, no, I think, I think, Um, so much of my experience felt like I, because of my privileges, grew up in 
a bubble and didn't understand my my privileges and my biases. And so it would have been just absolutely life-changing for me to unpack that and to understand that earlier in my life. Um, and in a lot of ways, obviously, I'm still doing that. It's an ongoing work and understanding, but that that would have, um, I think, changed a lot more things for me and, and just would have made me, um, I think, a better person in the world. Um, I think also like something that doesn't get talked a lot about and at least in my understanding in the field um, outside of, I think, especially the eating disorder community is that not a lot of dietitians are getting supervision or it's not talked about a whole lot. And I wish that that had been something I'd learned about sooner as well. Um, I knew about it once I entered into eating disorder work and the access to it is also a whole other conversation of it's expensive and, um, and it's just really hard to maybe figure out how to navigate that if we don't have any understanding of what it is or how it could be helpful. Yes. Um, yeah. And just like along with that, you know, supervision education from folks of other lived experiences, mm-hmm. um, which really goes into two of what I mentioned before of like living in the, the bubble of, mm-hmm. I don't want to have all of my education from um, the most privileged folks. Like I want to understand how this makes sense um in a variety of ways or from a variety of experiences so yeah yeah oh and i guess one other thing is um just really thinking about the importance of lived experience Mm -hmm. um i know that research is important to our field and i understand um how it can be useful and how it can be used as a tool but i think we really fall short if that's the only tool that we're using or if uh we're kind of putting it above uh believing what someone in front of us is telling us oh yes that that's an excellent point and i couldn't agree more with that that is so very true and um just to kind of circle back to the supervision piece because not everybody listening on here probably knows what that is i just started supervision myself once i took this new job in student wellness and i'm working on my certification and so i have learned so so much through supervision and like I said, I've been a dietitian for 27 years, and this is the first I've ever done supervision. And I'm doing it with yeah. Beth. And it's just so valuable. I'm in a small group. And so um, it's a group of therapists and dietitians. And it's just, I also do um, EDCI, Eating Disorder Coalition of Iowa, has a monthly um, professional group that meets. And I learn a lot there too. It's almost like supervision because we share different education pieces, but then also like, what would we do in this situation? Or if somebody has a case that they just need more help with. And so just listening, what I really value, because I feel like I kind of know the, you know, dietitian piece, but what the therapists say, and their input has just been so helpful for my understanding and growth too, as a dietitian. So yeah, I, here's a plug for supervision as well. But like (laughs) It is expensive, and I am so very lucky that there are professional funds for me at Student Wellness, and so I use those funds for the supervision piece. So I'm very lucky. That's you know not everybody has that luxury either, especially if you're in private practice. Right. Yeah, which I think is also ironically the the point where you might need it the most because you're really on your own. <laughs> um, don't have many other people to maybe bounce ideas off of or get get. Uh, questions answered 
Yeah, I'm a big advocate of supervision. I've I have some amazing supervisors, um, and they really help. And I've also um, recently, in the last year, branched out into offering supervision as well, which has been so so fun. I think again, it's really fun to work from the clinician side of things and help people understand not just like okay, what might be happening clinically or medically for this case study, but also like what's coming up for you? You know, what are, are there any issues of countertransference happening or um, how are you feeling about working with this particular person? Or, you know, I think there's so many, so many skills that we could be um, growing in supervision. And so, yeah, that's a very fun, fun area of dietetics, I think too. Well, and then also being highly sensitive, like you mentioned, that takes some work too, not to get so, because you can't grieve everybody's, you know, trauma, obviously. Yeah, I mean, you're just, your body can't do it. But I know it's, it's hard because I, I feel like I'm highly sensitive as well. I just can so easily get into other people's emotions. So that's been a little bit of a learning curve too from doing, um, you know, one-on-one with eating disorders. But, and so that's another thing we talk about too in supervision is like, what are you doing for self-care? What are you doing so you don't get burnt out? And Mm -hmm. are you taking care of yourself, which is so important? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's also really, I've had really helpful experiences understanding my role in the treatment team. Like, oh yeah, that, that thing I did or said with that client in session was actually me uh, feeling really overwhelmed because the, the therapist hasn't, you know, been responding to my emails and I feel like I need to step up in some way, right? Or like really kind of, um, I don't know, sometimes subtle or if you weren't looking for it, maybe you would miss it kind of things. But I love that part of the work where you're like, oh, wait, yeah, I did that thing that didn't feel good to me. And here's why. Yeah, that's cool. It's cool to make those connections. And, um, and it, I mean, you're just so self-aware that you can do that. And I don't know if, if that's a learned skill or is it something, you know what I mean? Cause some people have the ability yeah. to, I think maybe it's partly being open-minded and open to learning more about yourself is probably part of it too. Yeah, probably so. So where do you see yourself in five years? Oh my gosh, this is such a, like, (laughs) this is such a wild question. I feel like in COVID times, because I'm like, what is time anymore? Um, (laughs) um, So this is really hard to conceptualize, but I... Let me say it this way. I hope that in five years I can look back and be really pleased and proud with how much I've grown and stretched. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that I'm still optimistic. I hope that I'm still compassionate. And I hope that I'm surrounded by an incredible community of people who give a damn. Oh, my gosh. I absolutely love that answer. <laughs> that is just perfect. I got chills. That is um- <laughs> Yeah, I love that because that is the hope, right? And um, I've noticed too that I can look back at my earlier years of maybe some handouts that I did and I thought I was doing weight-inclusive care and then I see something that's like so stigmatizing in the handout. 
thinking, oh my gosh. And at first it was shocking. And I was like, I feel really bad about the harm. And then I also thought that everybody starts somewhere. And if you didn't have any growth and you don't know all the things and you only learn all the things by doing the things and doing the work. And so, um, yeah, looking back and seeing growth, uh, just of your knowledge and just of the things, you know, things that you've learned and the things that you did. That's yeah, I like that answer. Something something I think about often is like the clients who I've been seeing for three plus years. I'm like, hopefully you just don't remember what I was like when we first started working together or hopefully, you know, the evolution of me and my skills has has been I mean, clearly it's it's we're good we're doing okay. We have yeah. this long standing relationship, but I I think about that sometimes. I'm like, huh. Yeah, my past self <laughs> was a different person. <laughs> so what are your interests beyond dietetics? You said that, you know, it's important to be able to um, do other things because our profession is not our whole identity. So what else do you like to do? Oh, my gosh, I'm obsessed with plants. Um, I have my home is small. It's like 700 square feet and I have over 45 house plants. Oh, my um, goodness. That's incredible. So, the goal is to live in a jungle and <laughs> I'm slowly but surely working that way. Um, I also have a big garden outside, multiple garden beds. So that's been really fun. Um, and I also love like just making things, whether it's a very mediocre DIY or um, like a woodworking thing that's also very mediocre. Um, traveling when I'm able yeah, just making my home an oasis has been, <laughs> I bought a house in uh, December and I feel like since then I'm like, how do I make this exactly what I could never do in a in an apartment? That's so exciting. It's nice to have your own house, your own space. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's been really nice. So folks want to get a hold of you. You gave us your email and also your website. And so again, I'll put that in the show notes in case anyone has questions, wants to sign up for any of your classes at this sort of thing. So thank you so much, Carly, for being with us today. It was great getting back in touch with you and visiting. And this is one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast is because I have these great conversations with people that I ordinarily wouldn't just, you know, on a day to day basis. So I really thank you for sharing your experiences with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. And I'll include my Instagram too, if anyone wants to be Instagram friends. Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. I'll put that in the notes too. Cool. Yeah, thanks so much. It was great. Well, that concludes our show for today. Remember to take some time each and every day to celebrate you. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to check the show notes or eatrightiowa.org if you're interested in learning more about the Iowa Academy. You will find important updates, resources, continuing educational opportunities, many of which are free, job postings, and more. Thank you for listening. The Iowa Academy of Nutrition Dietetics, the real nutrition experts.